You are listening to The Mystical Positivist. I'm your host, Stuart Goodnick. Joining me is co-host Rob Schmidt. This week on the show, Rob and I speak by telephone with Red Hawk about his latest book from Home Press called The Way of the Wise Woman, Poems by Red Hawk. He is the author of ten previous books. His book, Self-Observation, has been published in 11 languages. His poetry has been published in the Atlantic Poetry and Kenyan Review and other journals. Red Hawk has been a member of a Gurdjieff group for 36 years, a student of Mr. Lee Loswick for 22 years, a disciple of Master Osho Rajneesh for 16 years prior, and always a devotee of the great spiritual master Yogi Ram Surat Kumar. We'll get started with that conversation after a short musical break. Musical selections on today's program are from a CD called The Mystic and the Muse, celebrating 600 years of women in music with the Ensemble Galilei. This track is called Bist du bei mir by Johann Sebastian Bach. This is The Mystical Positivist, a radio show dedicated to the application of reason in the pursuit of spiritual practice and development. It consists of commentary, book reviews, interviews, and discussion in and around the local and larger spiritual community. The thesis of the show is that rationality is in no way the antithesis of deep mystical experience. In fact, we assert that it is a necessary ally. I'm your host, Stuart Goodnick. Joining me is co-host Rob Schmidt, director of Tayu Meditation Center and co-founder with myself and Jim Wilson of Mini Rivers Books and Tea in Sebastopol. Great to be here. This week on the show, Rob and I speak by telephone with Red Hawk about his latest book from Home Press called The Way of the Wise Woman, Poems by Red Hawk. 
Red Hawk was the Hodder Fellow at Princeton University and currently a tenured professor of English at the University of Arkansas, Monticello. He is the author of 10 previous books. His book, Self-Observation, has been published in 11 languages. His poetry has been published in The Atlantic, Poetry, and Kenyan Review and other journals. He has been a member of a Gurdjieff group for 36 years, a student of Mr. Lee Roswick for 22 years, a disciple of Master Osho Rajneesh for 16 years prior, and always a devotee of the great spiritual master, Yogi Ram Kumar. In this compilation of 58 short ten-line poems, Red Hawk skillfully describes those qualities of heart, mind, and action that characterize the awakening of the feminine within the human person. As the feminine is awakened in both man and woman, the mother spirit emerges in each one, highlighted by a display of nurturing, kindness, gentleness, generosity, cooperation, and forgiveness of self and others. The Way of the Wise Woman is a catalog of such feminine virtues and behaviors and a series of contemplations to be studied, prayed, and enjoyed for their poetic beauty. As a training manual of sorts, the poems are far from sweet whisperings, however. The feminine, as the poet proclaims, is also fierce, strong, ruthlessly honest, and confrontative as well as supportive. This collection may well serve to guide the seeker in self-examination as the poems encourage a refined vision of what is and what is possible and a growing sense of the presence and attention needed to enter the halls of wisdom. Red Hawk writes from long personal study and experience. His years of discipleship within religious schools of esoteric knowledge allows him to share what has been gained and lost from following a path. The inner struggles of this type of work are on self are rendered with raw precision while being beautifully delineated in these poems. Any reader will benefit from the fruits and understanding the poet has gained from these struggles. Red Hawk, welcome back to The Mystical Positivist. Thank you very much, Stuart and Rob. I love being with you because I love the two of you very much, and I also am thrilled to because I expect that many, many people whom I love dearly are listening tonight. I love speaking with you and uh, talking to them as well. Well, great. Well, uh, likewise, uh, we... Love, we love right back at you. Yeah, and we're, we're delighted. It's been too long since we've had a chance to uh, converse with you, so uh, this but, is a great opportunity. But you've had a lot... You've been a busy boy, it, it would appear. Um, I have, and, you know... Fellas, if it's all right, I, I want to talk about three main things. Mm -hmm. Okay, go for it. I want to talk about my two most recent books, which I had the honor of shepherding into print. And I want to talk about a larger force at work on the planet right now, which brought about the creation of these two books. So the two, two most recent books that I want to speak of are the... Return to the Mother, a Lover's Handbook, which is the third volume in a trilogy, uh, Self-Observation, The Awakening of Conscience was the first volume, homepress.com. Home is a play on words. It's a play on home and ohm, H-O-H-M, press.com. And, and uh, the second book is Return to the Mother, a Lover's Handbook. That's the third volume. In, in the uh, trilogy, the second volume is Self-Remembering. All of those are from Home Press. And also The Way of the Wise Woman, again, from Home Press. These books are unique in many ways. Um, 
and I think are important books. Both of these books are, are poems, poetry books. Self-observation and self-remembering are prose books, and in-depth examination of the practice of presence, which is a single practice with two aspects, uh, self-remembering and self-observation. Single practice, two aspects. And so these two books are an in-depth analysis of that practice in prose. The other two books, Return to the Mother and Way of the Wise Woman, are an in-depth analysis of those that practice in poetry, in verse. Return to the Mother is, I think, one of the most unique books in the American poetry canon. And the reason I say that is because it is a hundred poems. The title of each of those poems, each of them are 16 lines. Each poem is titled from one line of Lao Tzu's Tao Te Ching, one of the most ancient of the uh, spiritual literature available to humans, the ancient Chinese master. So every one of those poems has a title, which is one line from Lao Tzu. Then the 16-line poems that follow are a response to Lao Tzu, a um, analysis of the meaning of that uh, sutra, and uh, a, also a, an examination of, again, self-remembering and self-observation. The Way of the Wise Woman is um, 58 ten-line rhymed poems, uh, which are a, an examination and a result of the stirrings of the awakening of the divine feminine in me. And so those 58 poems, to me, represent 58 work tasks or practices which can be engaged one by one and are a road or a pathway to the awakening of the mother spirit in anybody and everybody, regardless of gender. So I say these are important books because the third thing I want to talk about is the larger force which is descending upon the planet Earth now. Mm -hmm. And that force is the reemergence of what I call the Mother Spirit. The Divine Feminine has engaged and descended onto the Earth and is speaking to the human species in her mother tongue, in this case, her, the uh, means by which she communicates with us is the COVID-19 virus. And her message to us is, I think, very, very plain. Either the human species changes its lifestyle and begins to live in harmony and alignment with the mother spirit of the earth, or we die. And so those who have ears to hear and eyes to see recognize this message and are beginning to respond appropriately. It's a time of enormous possibility for the awakening of the human species. Now is our time to work. Now is our time to find our true nature. Now is the time for us to develop to begin to develop in ourselves conscience, 
and Stu and Rob, it's beautiful because what we see is millions upon millions of people all over the earth are, are enacting acts of conscience in relationship, in response to the message from the, the divine mother spirit of the earth. We are um, sheltering in place, wearing face masks, and practicing social distancing as an act of conscience to not only protect ourselves, but to protect others. So to me, this is an opportunity given to us by the Mother Spirit to awaken and to become beings uh, driven by conscience. Um, if I can, uh, may, I, may I read a couple of poems now to, to just um, illustrate what I've just said? Please, certainly. please do, and tell me, because I've got the book in front of me, let me okay. know what page the first, we're on. The first one I'm going to read is from Return to the Mother. Okay. It's page 91. And so please remember that the, the, the title I'm going to read is a line from one of Lao Tzu's sutras from the Tao Te Ching. And following that title, that quote from Lao Tzu, I will read a number, which is the number of the sutra from the Tao. That will be followed then by the 16-line commentary. This is uh, page 91 mm -hmm. from Lao Tzu. Only when we are sick of our sickness shall we cease to be sick. 71. And then the poem follows. We remember ourselves and observe ourselves. Fever by blister, by bloody scab. Heave and vomit and bloat. Foul wind and vaporous weeping, we observe ourselves. But before we have had enough, we have to see that every foulness in others is manifest in ourselves, in thought or emotion or outright action. It is all there. Thus, a certain shame roots deep, sprouts, blooms as remorse. Conscience flowers the balm upon the wound of birth, the physician come to heal the sickness of myself. Conscience is the holy nurse in the fever ward, that which is deeply stirred but untouched by the plague. I reread both of these books before I had the occasion to speak with you, and when I came upon that poem... Well, yeah, I can see why you would have chosen that one. <laughs> I was... <laughs> I was stunned. Uh, you see, the, the beauty... I say these are important books, and I, I say they're important because, for me, they're terribly important. I reread both of them, and they were and are such a help to me in my spiritual practice. I read that poem, for example, and it gives me a way to see 
the time of plague that we live in and what's required of me, what's, what's demanded of me and what I must and can do in order to be of use and to serve in this time. Let me read uh, then uh, one poem from The Way of the Wise Woman as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, this addresses, uh, this is page 19, Sutra 17, from The Way of the Wise Woman, also available from hohmhomepress.com. Sutra 17. For the wise woman, the earth is a living miracle, and every tree, stone, and creature is an oracle of infinite wisdom and a source of tender care. She bonds with the earth as with her mother. The mother's love and guidance are in the very air she breathes. Her flesh is wedded to the dirt, and when her heart is wounded, there is no other who can offer her greater comfort for the hurt. The earth teaches her what it is to be female, to freely give and serve, sensitive to the smallest detail. So in this time, the earth is gesturing to us, is beckoning to us, and is saying to us, come to me, I will heal you, I will comfort you in this time of suffering and sorrow, and you must align with me and live in harmony with me now. You know, we have lived for thousands and thousands of years with the male dominance, and it has driven the human species to the very brink of extinction. Wars everywhere, violence, competition, suffering and sorrow of unimaginable proportions. And now in the very midst of this very dire time, the feminine is beginning to emerge again. I'll just mention very briefly that I have a new book coming out, um, which is the publication is May 19, 2020. It's called The Law of the Land, and it is again addressing the earth and our place on it and the moral stance that we must take and that we can learn from the earth. That's going to be available from Obad, A-U-B-A-D-E, press.com. But what's happening is that we see feminine, the feminine force emerging. There's the Me Too movement all over the planet. There is the uh, children's crusade against gun violence from Marjorie Stoneham Dunn and Dunn, Dunn Douglas High School, those murders. There is this young, beautiful Swedish high school student, Greta Thunberg, who is going around the earth and telling those leaders of nations, this is what you must do. This is how you must behave. This is what is required of you as leaders of government in order to save us and to align with the earth. So these books are important because they are about, they are, they are guidelines on how to awaken and align with that mother spirit. Well, thank you um, 
for that because uh, you've uh, stimulated me, in me a number of questions. I think I'd like to start with um, the statement you made earlier about how the poems in The Way of the Wise Woman arose as, I can't remember the words you used exactly, but as, uh, uh, as works um, in the in the in the couple work tasks. That's right. So um, so, and and I'm wondering um, how that happened for you. Yes. Well, that's a good question. Uh, thank you, Stuart. Uh, one of the great surprises of my life, um, having given my life from a young age, I'll. I'll say around 1980 or so, I began to give my life over to the practice of self-remembering and self-observation. I've been practicing diligently as, well, with as much effort and strength and will as I can possibly muster because I'm a weak man and I'm a little man. And yet there is, has developed over many years a certain will of attention in me to my great surprise, one of the byproducts of that practice for me has been the first stirrings in me of the awakening of the Mother Spirit. It has manifested as uh, kindness, generosity, apology, forgiveness, tenderness, nurturing, a certain... Um, uh, a certain uh, fragility, uh, sensitivity. And, you know, this is a surprise because, you know, for much of my life I've been an insensitive man and hurt others and hurt myself with my tongue, with my actions. And so I wrote the book Self-Observation at the bequest of my guru, my spiritual teacher, Mr. Lee Lozowick. And it came as a great surprise, a great healing, and a great teaching for me. It was an inspired writing. I got help from on high. It was followed by the book Self-Remembering, which was another and, and even greater surprise to me. Then, having thought that I was finished with that, then Chandrika and I were traveling, going to North Carolina on a weekly, on a, a yearly sojourn. We stopped in a little town in Virginia, Abington, to eat lunch. We always like to eat lunch there, and we like to go to this coffee shop used bookstore, which is across the street from the hotel where we eat, and it's more coffee than books. But I found in that bookstore an old, ragged, broken-spined uh, copy of a, a book by Wayne Dwyer, about Lao Tzu's Tao Te Ching, and I must tell you that Lao Tzu has been one of my go-to uh, sources for inspiration and help for many years. Uh, the Tao Te Ching sits by my bedside along with Buddha's Dhammapada, uh, the Bible, um, and um, some books by um, Mr. Lee. And uh, so I opened this book up, and what Wayne Dwyer did, God bless him, he's dead now, uh, is... Uh, he took translations from ten different uh, translators of the Tao Te Ching, and he used 
he alternated between them, whichever ones he favored at any given time, and he would quote from that text. And I began to be inspired. I, I would read a line from Lao Tzu, and I had a little scrap of paper I took out of my pocket. I mean, well, that's a good poem title, and I wrote it down. Pretty soon that little paper was full, and I decided, well, I better pay five bucks and buy this thing. And I went, bought it, and went. we went to our cabin on the creek along with our dear friend Jen Berline and, and Chandrika and I, and I sat out there on the deck for a week, and the poems just poured out of me line after line from Lao Tzu in my response. And it was a feminine book. And that feminine spirit descended into me because I was receptive and willing and praying for it, and I just stayed out of the way, and it began to instruct me and teach me. And the first poem that came was 16 lines, and every poem after that took the same form, much to my amazement and delight and surprise, none of it planned. And each sutra from Lao Tzu taught me, and each response was inspired by Lao Tzu, and I say it's unique in American poetry. I don't think there's been anything like it in American poetry that there is this ancient master and a willing disciple and practitioner receiving from that master and, and responding. So, so that was the first really stirrings of the feminine. So I'd like to ask a question now because you, this is Stuart, um, you piqued my interest with when you talked about your life of practice of self-observation and and self-remembering and i know that those those practices are you know originally arise out of the gurdjieff tradition yes well those that way of that yeah. way of speaking that way of speaking about it and yeah, yeah, they're the, more ancient but much more ancient they certainly. go all the way back to the beginnings of human history but what i what i found interesting in your your uh, comment was that after a lifetime of this practice, you felt and you found that the feminine, the divine feminine, was really manifesting through you. Yes. And, and and the question I have is, do you find or do you feel like that is a um, a natural consequence of this kind of work, or do you feel like this is uh, in part a response to this? Uh, Entering or this uh, uh, this voice of the feminine that you described at the outset of the show that's emerging now. I think it's both, Stuart. I think first of all that um, well, so the work that I do, the practice of self-remembering, self-observation, I do without an expectation of reward or 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 a result. I don't do it for results. I do it because it's a it's a a really humble way of serving a a a, um, a a very finer energy, which is in me and which is in all people and which is in all things. I, it, it serves this finer energy. It serves the earth and it serves our Creator. So it was unexpected that it that, that the mother spirit arose in me is arising in me not past tense present tense i believe that it is a natural process that can and should 
and must happen in all humans. The mother spirit is in us. It is awaiting the invitation to emerge. And the invitation is a relaxed body, a conscious intention, a conscious placement of attention outside of the mind and lower down in the body, returning home to the mother, to the, to the mother, which is the body, mm-hmm. and placing the attention again in the body and, and out of the enslavement of the mind. And I also believe that, that it is more available and perhaps even, well, I'll just say it's more available now than it, than it has been for a long, long time because of this arising, the reemergence of the divine feminine as a planetary force. So both things are at work, Stuart. Mm-hmm. So um, um, I'm wondering if this hasn't been going on even longer than you intimate in in your in, in other words for you personally as well as collectively, because three years before uh, you published Return to the Mother, you published a book called Mother Guru. Yeah. And and I'm wondering if 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 you would recognize that book also as being part of you your process of opening to that energy i would and and i'll say that that unbeknownst unrecognized to me this mother spirit began to emerge in me with the birth of my daughters Hmm. Ah. but it had a lot of crude and and um coarse uh material to melt down before it began to manifest clearly in me so that I could recognize it myself. Mm-hmm. But I owe a lot to Little Wind and Raindrop, my daughters. Uh, God bless them. They may be listening now. If they are, I love you dearly. Um, and so so it, the Mother Guru, were, that book was poems to my guru, Mr. Lee. And that title surprised me uh, to seeing Mr. Lee as the mother spirit surprised me. And yes, that may have been the first conscious awareness I had of this thing which is in all of us and which began, had melted enough of the crude material, the ore, down to produce a small nugget of gold (laughs) out of lead, out of all that lead. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, I, <clears throat> and in a related to that, um, maybe I could ask you to read um, uh, poem thirty-eight on page thirty-nine, thirty-seven. Oh. I'm sorry, on page thirty. Uh, the way of the wise woman. Yeah. Yes, I'd be happy to. I happen to have a copy right in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> That's convenient. You said page 39, Stuart? Yeah, it's uh, number 37. Yeah, this is Sutra 37 from the Way of the Wise Woman. And and if you're listening, um, these poems are rhymed, and if you if you can pay attention with another part of you, you with the heart and, and, the, and the body, you may be able to pick up this song-like quality of these poems. 
the wise woman moves through levels of inner work, beginning with self only, the ego-driven survival strategy, the knee-jerk selfish response to others which makes life lonely. Slowly she grows to include self and others, recognizing that all people are sisters and brothers. A lifetime of struggle brings about the great inner shift in which she places others first, which is the gift of love's devotion. At last she merges with the Divine Mother for whom there is no self, only others. So that that last line caught me when I read this because um, it makes such such sense and it has that has that quality of like something locking into place <clears throat> to to make it clear what um no self means and and what the divine mother means we uh i i want to read a poem from return to the mother which is page 43 again this is um the 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 title is a quote from Lao Tzu's Sutra, followed by the number of that Sutra from the Tao, and then my response. Quote, After a great battle, the earth lies stripped of its motherhood. You must never think of conquering others by force. 30. And then the poem. Where the mother spirit rules, peace prevails. It is the same among families as among nations. When a family is governed by the mother spirit, both parents are held, and they in turn hold their children. They do not harm the children physically, verbally, or emotionally. They resolve conflict without violence, using gentleness and calm where others rule by force. The hand which strokes the child's face does not strike the child's body. The mother spirit is kind and all feels safe where she prevails. The child who is not hit has great self-worth. The child who is held has dignity and courage. The child disciplined by reason is reasonable. Fear rules by force. Motherhood by kindness. Thank you. You're welcome. The um, There's a couple of things that come up for me. Um, one is that uh, the language that you use, well, actually in both of these books, um, Wise Woman and Return to the Mother, um, it seems to me you're drawing on languages of, th- of at least 
three, if not four, great spiritual traditions. Explicitly, for example, in the wise woman with the uh, uh, final four poems of the book, which are referencing the uh, uh, four noble truths, uh, that's Buddhism, of course. Throughout um, both books, there's references to da- both to Taoism and the Fourth Way very, right. very explicitly. Yes. And um, and I think there are other resonances with the the, the um, work of your own teacher, uh, Mr. Lee Lazowick, and and others. So it's this. Um, but Stuart, don't forget that good master Jesus. I, well, actually, I, I I almost said Christ, but yeah. uh, uh, I prefer Jesus, the name I Jesus. I prefer Master Jesus. I, I love that word. It soothes me. <laughs> Good. Well, um, but but um, I'll, I'm going to ask you to read another poem from, from The Way of the Wise Woman. Yes. It's the one on page 15, um, which is your uh, number 13. And the reason the reason I'm asking you uh, to read that is because it, in every way throughout that particular poem, I'm reminded of the words of my own teacher, Robert Daniel Ennis. So it really strongly resonated for me um, in terms of, well, read the poem and then we can chat about it if you like. Okay. And, and, and God bless Daniel Ennis. Uh, I, I love Robert Daniel Ennis. Uh, he was a wonderful teacher and uh, an important influence on all of us and um, worth looking up. If you don't know his work, uh, there's a couple of his books that you can find online. Um, if you look up E-N-N-I-S, Robert Daniel Ennis, and they uh, are important books. So this is Sutra 13 from The Way of the Wise Woman from HOHMHomePress.com. And again, it's ten lines, and it's rhymed in a certain way. Like all humans, the wise woman must suffer a broken heart. In order to lose her native innocence, devoid of experience, which was not paid for but was given by grace alone, so she must fall from that heaven of childhood into the sorrow and disgrace of mammal desire. From this darkness she will start on the long path to pay for a wise innocence, born of experience, recover the organic intelligence of the body, know her rightful place on the earth, and reclaim her original face. Once again, that one ends really well too, strongly. Thank you. <laughs> but um, but it's the uh, it's the uh, uh, you know Robert Ennis used to talk about um, uh, original innocence, what you call native innocence in the poem. Um, but um, then then he called it innocence with knowledge, which yeah, is your I'll call wise, it wise innocence. Wise innocence means the same thing. Exactly, and that's why the poem resonated so strongly for me. But you start off with, must suffer a broken heart. Yeah. And that, that to me, speaks to so much of what I heard from in your teacher, uh, Mr. Lee Lazowicz, 
uh, work. And, you know, uh, as I heard him say that sort of thing a lot. So um, it's a uh, it, it's I think it might maybe this may be my favorite poem, mostly because of the personal resonances. Maybe we could talk about that for a little bit. Maybe we, I, I, I think there's a lot to be talked about just in terms of must suffer a broken heart. Can we start there? Please, yes, please. All right. Look, we are taught so many mistruths, half-truths in our life on this planet by well-meaning people who don't know better. And one of the great mistruths is that a broken heart is something to be avoided at all costs and to be, I don't know, gotten over as quickly as possible. Um, Even denied, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Pushed down suppressed, denied, avoided, not talked about. My experience is this. Every single being who arrives on this planet and is embodied in a mammal body, every soul embodied in a mammal body on this planet must and will suffer a broken heart, period. And that good master Jesus is no exception. None of the great masters are accepted. Nobody is accepted. We all must be broken. And my understanding of that is that this is one of our Creator God's greatest gifts to us, is the gift of a broken heart. It is a magnificent gift. As long as I know how to use it and receive that gift, it can transform me. The thing is to be able to Stay with that broken heart. To not shy away from it in any way, but to move attention out of the mind into the body, to come home to the body and rest in the mother spirit, which is at the navel, at the solar plexus in that area, at the heart, and to rest there and allow the broken heart to transform me. It, The first thing it it will do, and I speak from my own experience, it will humble me. My heart was broken as an as, as infant, broken again as a child raised by alcoholic parents who died of alcoholism. And then I broke my own heart through divorce and the loss of my daughters. And what I did then was I turned to the earth because I was lost and bereft and hadn't knew didn't know where to turn. I turned to the earth. The earth began to teach me. A broken heart shows me my my nothingness. It shows me my smallness. It shows me my helplessness. And the reason God gives us this gift is because when my heart is broken so badly that nothing on earth can heal it, that only our Creator can possibly heal it, I go to my knees. I turn towards the earth, which is the one of the representatives of God in our lives. And I begin to beg for help and 
for solace and comfort. Only when my heart is broken so desperately will I turn, will I give up my foolishness, the me, the myself, and open my heart to God. And God is waiting patiently for the invitation. It has to be a woman on her knees with her arms and her heart and her mind wide open and still. The task is to remain actively still. To remain actively still is the is the key to the opening of the heart. And I'm reminded of the good master Jesus and my beloved Chandrika, who just reminded me of Jesus' teaching. Jesus gave the clearest, simplest definition of God that I've ever heard, and my experience has absolutely verified for myself, God is love. Love and God are the same thing. Love is the language our Creator uses to communicate with its creation in the human reality. Love is the means by which our Creator communicates with us, and love is the way our Creator manifests in this reality. Love and God are the same thing. So the broken heart reveals to us where God is is and what God is. So everybody must experience it. And when we do, we lose our native innocence, which we got, we were born with, but we didn't pay for. And in order to regain that innocence, we have to pay. And we have to pay with the dearest coin in our purse, which is the me, the myself. That thing, which is the illusion of self, which I call me, and which is which I've taken to call the um, I call it the interference mechanism. Uh, the interference mechanism is this thing we call me, and it interferes with receiving love as God in our bodies and manifesting in our lives, and and only. You see, and the other thing we're taught is that love comes from us. No, it doesn't come from us at all. It comes to us. God comes to us and will come act through us, through me, if I don't interfere with the descending divine love current, which enters into all life forms, manifests as all life forms in all worlds, in, all, in the universe. If I don't interfere, which means if I can be still inside, not interfering with thought or emotion, that love then finds me, comes through me, and writes books, and speaks, and acts in my name and as as this force. Well, uh, you're reminding me of of one of the very early teachings that I received from Mr. Ennis, um, which is that when you ex- when one experiences a broken heart, uh, what you're calling these mammal bodies, 
tend to try to um, uh, put a scab over the heart, so we don't have so we don't have to be aware of it. So his his advice was very explicitly to resist the scabbing over of the broken heart. Yeah, to to resist shying away from the from the from the grief, the mourning, the suffering. Mm-hmm. To to not shy from it, but to embrace it, to stay with it, and to live as that grief and mourning. And and it's it's very timely that we're we're talking about this because the COVID nineteen crisis across the globe is a global shock that is the occasion for people suddenly stopping and really, you know, having having some big toys taken away. And, and there's a sense of grief or a sense of disruption that we can be present to in that, as you're describing. That we All don't... of the known, K-N-O-W-N, the known has been stripped from us. And we are left with ourselves. And most people are finding that very difficult to be left only with themselves and are desperate for any kind of distraction in order to get away from sitting with myself and seeing myself as I am. But it is a great, great opportunity for those who wish to work Lord have mercy. If we wish to work, there's never been a time that is more beneficial. There's never been greater opportunity than now. And we're lucky to be alive in this time, in this place, and experiencing this. Let me ask you to read another poem. This one from the Return to the Mother. It's on page 33. And um, it seems to me that this particular poem... Uh, uses some very vivid images to uh, draw the contrast between what was and what uh, what is being experienced now. Thank you. Um, I, I, I will read that, uh, but I want to say <clears throat> one. This return to the mother is is such a gorgeous book to me. It is a collaboration with seven women artists, hmm. each of who has supplied one or more pieces of artwork which are found in the book. All of these women artists are, are giving, are representing the mother spirit in some way. And so those color plates are in this book, and, and to my mind, they absolutely transform the book, and they make the book far, far greater than it would have been if it was just the poems alone. And, of course, there's Lao Tzu, and that makes the book far, far greater. And my, my contribution, which is inspired contribution, but it is it is only in support of uh, those women and that great master. This is, uh, this is um, page 33, Return to the Mother. First, the quote from Lao Tzu. What is the difference between yes and... And no, 20. Desire is the endless chase between yes and no. One chases after desire the way a stray dog 
and when one should chance to do so, it is vicious in its efforts to ward off all interlopers, as it swallows without chewing, devours without tasting. The path of desire has no end, thus it offers no satisfaction. Seeing this, one may rest in the stillness. Absent desire, fear ceases, and the mother opens her arms. The dog lies down at her feet. Well, that's um, that's another example. I'm I'm realizing how how good you are with strong final lines, <laughs> which I which I hadn't um, really cognized until uh, until this conversation. So thank you for well, that. Some people have said that it's one of the greatest strengths of my poetry is is the art of closure. Mm. Well, that's another way of saying it, I guess. Yeah, how to end, and you know that's a thing humans are not good at. We we. Are, don't know, aren't taught, aren't shown, and don't value the art of endings. So we end very poorly, often in pain and and harshly, and um, uh, uh, with with uh, violence instead of with um, grace and mercy. That makes sense. Stuart, did you want to invite another poem? Otherwise, I have one. Well, we have we we have just a couple minutes before the uh, break, but maybe uh, yeah. Let, let's uh, let's close for the, this hour with uh, uh, number thirty-three. That's on page thirty-five. That's from the way of the way of the wise woman. Yeah. Thirty-three, in the way of the wise woman. Oh, this is. Well, there's a lot to talk about after we come back um, for this. Good. For the wise woman, everything is food to feed her soul. From the steady streams of thought to the rush of emotion. The soul feeds on energy transformation, negative energy into love. Not fooled by the dreams desire spins, the wise woman stays steady in her attitude and is not ruled by every changing mood. To grow and mature, the soul must be fed well. Just as the chick eats the yolk to escape its shell, the soul consumes negativity to escape from hell. When we come back, let's let's start with that poem and talk about that a little, shall we? Yeah, we will. So this is probably a good time to uh, take a short break. Uh, by the way, I'll just uh, before we do, we have just a, a brief time. I'll just mention that we happen to have a mother. Uh, a turkey hen on our property uh, uh, laying on a brood 
Um, it's at least eight eggs. I don't. It might be more. I can't look now, of course, because I don't want to disturb her. But um, but I, I was reminded by the image of the chick eating the yolk to escape its shell. Is this Rob speaking? It is. It is Rob speaking. And and our Native American friend Trina Vega tells us that on her reservation. Um, the it, it is considered a great blessing to have turkeys in your yard, and that roosting, yeah, or, or, or well, nesting, in, in any in any way, yeah. not yeah. not just nesting, but nesting yeah. particularly. I so, love that. Yeah, the mother spirit is emerging everywhere. Indeed, indeed. So uh, we'll we'll take a break. I'm going to turn you over to uh, Rob off air and okay. then uh, do some announcements, and we'll be back in a few minutes. You are listening to The Mystical Positivist. I'm your host, St- Stuart Goodnick. Joining me is co-host Rob Schmidt. This week on the show, Rob and I speak by telephone with Red Hawk about his latest book from Home Press called The Way of the Wise Woman, Poems by Red Hawk. He's the author of ten previous books. His book, Self-Observation, has been published in 11 languages. His poetry has been published by The Atlantic, Poetry, and Kenyan Review, and other journals. Red Hawk has been a member of a Gurdjieff group for 36 years, a student of Mr. Lee Loswick for 22 years, a disciple of Master Osho Rajneesh for 16 years prior, and always a devotee of the great spiritual master Yogi Ram Surakumar. We'll return to our show after a short musical break. Musical selections on today's program are from a CD called The Mystic and the Muse, celebrating 600 years of women in music, with the Ensemble Galilei. This track is called The Alchemist by Marcia Deal.
Welcome back to The Mystical Positivist. I'm your host, Stuart Goodnick, joined by co-host Dr. Robert Schmidt, director of Taiyu Meditation Center and founder with myself and Jim Wilson of Mini Rivers Books and Tea in Sebastopol, California. This week on the show, Rob and I speak by telephone with Red Hawk about his latest book from Home Press called The Way of the Wise Woman, Poems by Red Hawk. He is the author of 10 previous books. His book, Self-Observation, has been published in 11 languages. His poetry has been published by The Atlantic, Poetry, and Kenyan Review, and other journals. Redock has been a member of a Gurdjieff group for 36 years, a student of Mr. Lee Loswick for 22 years, a disciple of Master Osho Rajneesh for 16 years prior, and always a devotee of the great spiritual master Yogi Ram Sarat Kumar. So, Red Hawk, um, uh, since we closed the last hour with uh, reading Sutra 33 from The Way of the Wise Woman, uh, maybe I could ask you to read it again so we can uh, continue the discussion. Right, there's so much in this poem, but, but, but uh, just one aside, did I understand you to be playing music from a celebration of 600 years of women in music? Yes. You, you did indeed. How appropriate. Yes. Well, it, w- it was not accident. <laughs> Okay, so we'll begin with the uh, Sutra 33 from the Way of the Wise Woman, Home Press, hohmpress.com. And again, these are ten-line rhymed poems, and if you're trying to hear from the whole body, you can pick up the rhythm and the music of the rhyming of these poems and uh, they will draw into you a different kind of force. So this is Sutra 33. For the wise woman, everything is food to feed her soul. From the steady streams of thought to the rush of emotion. The soul feeds on energy transformation negative energy into love. Not fooled by the dreams, desire spins, the wise woman stays steady in her attitude and is not ruled by every changing mood. To grow and mature, the soul must be fed well. Just as a chick eats the yolk to escape its shell, The soul consumes negativity to escape from hell. Well, thank you. So let's, uh, if you wish, um, can we start with the very first line? That's right where I was going to go. Okay. (laughs) Go, go, Go for it. For the wise woman, everything is food. And, of course, this teaching...
not get fed, weakens, and dies. We come into the earth reality as souls manifesting in a mammal form. We come here to earth because earth is a kindergarten for souls, a very, very foundational, uh, fundamental school for souls to learn. So on this planet, the uh, means by which the soul can grow and mature are given to us and come in with us. We are souls, not bodies. We are souls having a human experience. And so as souls, we have two aspects. One soul, two aspects. Presence and attention are the two aspects of the soul, which is us, in a human mammal form. Presence and attention. So we are given the means by which those two aspects can strengthen and grow and mature. That tool is a single tool. It has two aspects because the soul has two aspects. That is who we are, presence and attention. So the tool we're given in order to help the soul to mature is self-remembering, self-observation. It is the most ancient of all spiritual practices, and every major spiritual tradition on earth has that practice in some form. So it is a single practice. I call it the practice of presence. It has two aspects. Self-remembering invokes presence. Self-observation invokes attention. It is by these things that we feed. Okay, so what does it mean? What is the food by which self-remembering and self-observation can feed us? Well, they begin to reveal that interference mechanism in me which interferes with the intake of impressions from the five senses, impressions from the five senses, that's coming from outside, impressions from the inner world as in the form of thought, emotions, postures, habits. Something in me interferes with the intake of these impressions, which are energy, vibratory energy, coming into the body. And so... That is the energy on which the soul can feed if I don't interfere, if I can remain actively still and not react and not judge and not condemn and not identify. So one of the first and fundamental tools in the spiritual work is to not express negative emotion. It is negative emotion which is one of the principal foods on which the soul can feed if I don't respond to it when it comes in. When negativity comes in, if I don't respond, if I can remain still inside, if I can remain 
sensing the breath, sensing the whole body, relaxing the body, conscious placement of attention at the solar plexus or the abdomen, down lower in the body or the heart center down there. Then that negativity doesn't get used up by the mind and the emotions in its selfish psychodramas. So the first law of, of uh, Newtonian physics, the first law of energy, energy is neither created nor destroyed, it's only transformed. That energy transformation is what the body knows to do in its higher and finer form. It knows how to transform negativity into a finer energy. If I don't interfere and steal that energy to use for my selfish psychodramas. So that transformation of energy, that negativity into a finer substance can feed the soul, and that's how the soul grows and matures. I'm reminded of this beautiful story of Madame de Saltzman, who was Mr. Gurdjieff's great senior disciple. She was 93 or so years old, and she was teaching a, a class in the sacred dances, and one of her students was amazed and said to her, Madame, how is it possible you have so much energy, more energy than us? At your age, and she replied, quote, I eat my negativity, hmm. unquote. <laughs> so if everything is food, that means we live in a time in which there is such an abundance of negative energy <laughs> on the planet to eat if we don't react, if we don't judge, if we don't condemn, if we don't interfere and identify, but remain inside steady quiet, calm, present in the body. That, that energy enters into me. It's not interfered with. The body knows how to, what to do to act in its higher form, which is as an energy transformation instrument. And that negativity comes back out of the body as a finer energy, which a, a portion of it remains in the body so that the soul can, can feed on it. And that's, let's say, 25% remains for me. 75% rises outside of the body to feed God. And those entities higher in scale than me. And that energy helps God lawfully to maintain its creation. It's called the law of reciprocal maintenance. And, and it's an act of conscience which I serve that law. That is, reciprocal maintenance means that I receive the energy, I, I, I allow it to be transformed, it maintains the soul and feeds it, and the larger portion of it goes to help God maintain its creation. The law of reciprocal maintenance, it's a beautiful law. It is done humbly. I work, self-remembering, self-observation is called, Mr. Gajeev calls that, um, you know, uh, conscious labor and intentional suffering. Conscious labor is self-remembering. Intentional suffering is self-remembering. And it's an act of conscience in order to serve our Creator in its maintenance of its creation. That's food. 
And you, you say uh, in a number of the sutras in the way of the wise woman that yeah. the wise woman doesn't judge, doesn't doesn't evaluate, but simply is present too. And that 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 seems as as you're describing that to be the. Uh, and may, may I read something from the way of the wise woman yeah. that says the most important source of food for us as souls. May I do that now? Please, please. This is Sutra 30. It's on page 32. The wise woman tends to the growth of her soul the way a good farmer cares for the soil, forgiving those who wrong her will not fail to feed her soul, even when the mind screams foul and resists such sacrifice. When she feels she has wronged another, to quickly apologize strengthens the soul and helps it grow wise. By refusing to gossip, blame, or criticize, and practicing loving kindness even with fools, ego dies, so from its ashes the soul may arise. Now, that sutra is loaded with information about what it requires, what food the soul requires in order to grow. It begins with forgiveness. It follows with um, apology. And then refusing to gossip, blame, or criticize, and practicing loving kindness even with fools. Um, I want to talk about that line, practicing loving kindness even with fools. Um, in this time of um, uh, where we are um, sheltering in place, Chandrika and I and, and the, our Gurdjieff group and from Little Rock have been reading Beelzebub's tales to his grandson, Gurdjieff's magnus opus. And I came across this passage um, from Beelzebub's tales. It's from the first visit of Beelzebub to India. In my particular edition, it's page 233. It varies from edition to edition. But here's the quote. One of the best means of rendering ineffective the predisposition in your nature to crystallize the consequences of the properties of the organ kundabuffer is intentional suffering. And the greatest intentional suffering can be obtained in our presences by compelling ourselves to endure the displeasing manifestations of others towards ourselves. And then we return again to the poem. And the line is, practicing loving kindness even with fools. This is, to me, one of the highest and most senior of spiritual practices. It is terribly difficult for people to understand. The mind cannot comprehend it, so it's completely incomprehensible to the mind. To practice loving kindness with fools and yet that is one of the great, great practices by which the soul feeds and gets its proper nourishment and grows 
into maturity. Um, I want to read a quote from Don Juan Matus, who was Carlos Castaneda's master. Uh, quote, what weakens us is feeling offended by the deeds and misdeeds of other men. I repeat, what weakens us is feeling offended by the deeds and misdeeds of other men. Our self-importance requires that we spend most of our lives offended by someone, unquote. And I return to the line from Sutra 30, practicing loving kindness even with fools. Well, thank you for that. Um, yeah. I'd like to... Um, ask a, a different sort of question. You have twice in this conversation referred to um, uh, ra the rhyming uh, uh, nature of these ten-line poems in yeah. The Way of the Wise Woman. And certainly when I was reading, uh, well, when I was rereading the book uh, earlier today, it f forcibly uh, impressed upon me, or I was forcibly imp uh, impressed by the fact that your rhyme schemes are extremely variable. Yes. And I'm wondering if you can say something about um, how that variable variability manifests and manifested for you if, without giving away um, anything that you shouldn't give away. Well, now, just a minute. I want to give away all my secrets on this program. Oh, I well, well, but then by all means. Uh -huh. then, then by all means. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> you ask a beautiful question of, of a poet. Um, so um, I'm going to rephrase the question as, how did I arrive at these rhyme schemes? Because as you, as you noted, they are varied. Yes. Um, they are not the same throughout, but they but they are all rhymed, and they rhyme in various, various some of them subtle, some of them not so subtle um, ways. Okay, so I was inspired. I was going through old notebooks uh, last summer, and uh, I came across these series of five poems I'd written about small children, and uh, they had never been reworked, and I, I had more or less abandoned them, and when I came across them, again, they stunned me, because I, I realized that I had received them uh, by inspiration. I think I my my being wasn't yet mature enough or ready enough to to value and appreciate just how strong they were it they lay there waiting for me to come back at a different time when i had matured just slightly more enough so that i could see them for what they were and so i began to ponder them and i and i, I copied them out, and I began to work with them, and I began to realize these are not about children. They're about a very mature something. And that something was feminine in form. So I, the way of the wise woman, that, that, that came to me much later, but, but the first 
poem that came came rhymed without conscious intention. Here's the thing I love. I'm a rhymer, and, and uh, you know, um, it's not so very popular. Now, I think of my dear friend, Rena Espelot, who selected um, one of my books, uh, uh, um, Raven's Paradise, uh, won a national competition, and Rena was the judge. And she's a rhymer, and so we have this beautiful connection um, as, as poet friends. I love to rhyme, and so the thing I love about rhyme is it opens the door to surprise, to the unknown. If I have a poem which, which wants to rhyme, I can't have a plan that goes according to plan because the next line has to work with the lines that came before, and it has to be rhymed. And so I have to find out a way, a new, a different, an unusual, some new way to get to that rhyme. And and so what happens is that I wind up saying things that are totally refreshing, absolutely surprising, completely new, different than I had ever planned, and it leads me in whole new directions, and the poem unfolds in unexpected ways. That's rhyme. And see, that's, rhyme is really underrated now because it, 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 it is a, an incredibly valuable tool for someone who wants to work not just from the mind and from the known and from the past and from the pers- one's personal history alone, but from some different source. It opens the gate to God. So these poems, once the first one came rhymed, it set, it was ten lines, it set the format for the entire book. I had no idea how many poems were going to come. It, it, it mm-hmm. stuns me that there were 58. My God, God is good. God is generous. <laughs> the Mother Spirit is, is, is overflowing with kindness. So there was then this, this wish to rhyme. All right, so what came next? Well, I don't know. What is the wise woman? What is the way of the wise woman? What, what do I know from that first inkling, uh, that arising of the mother spirit in me, what does she tell me about my own inner world? And then she would say, okay, the wise woman is without false modesty, all right? So that's humility, but without false modesty. Uh, so, So then that requires 10 lines. What do I know about that? And what? how do I rhyme that? The wise woman practices humility and restraint. I'm just opening the book at random. Mm-hmm. Humility and restraint. What do I know? And and then what don't I know? And what will it show me? And, and I have to rhyme this. So where does the rhyme come in? And once I get the second line, humility and restraint, and then and then what comes next? And and how do I rhyme it? And, and it takes me to unexpected places. So... To get to the rhymes, I had to go to unknown places and open doorways that were open for me. I had to go through them, and the rhyme led me into these beautiful places, places that that I didn't know, places that were instructing me, things I didn't know, 
It was instructing me in this way of the wise woman, which was in me, which is in you, which is in all of us, regardless of gender. And the rhyme opens those doors. Thank you for a wonderful question. Well, uh, thank you for a wonderful answer. Um, uh, But I want to make a comment um, about this, which is that for the reader, um, or at least for this reader, um, there's... uh, I... I wanted to know what was happening, so I started looking at the different rhyme schemes, the the unique different rhyme schemes in each poem, and I and I would look at how two lines that rhyme, whose end, uh, who have an end rhyme, um, uh, might be separate, might be immediately adjacent um, in sequence, or they might be six lines apart. Or eight lines apart, or whatever it, whatever it happened to be, and I was wondering, oh, does that mean that there's there's a connection there? And in some places, I found connection um, uh, that seemed to be meaningful to me. So, so I want to suggest as a comment that that it's not just for you, the creator, finding new things. It also is an invitation to the reader uh, or the reciter to find new things. Yes, Rob. It's such a beautiful insight that you have that you've just said. Um, I go back to Sutra 33, which is for the wise woman, everything is food, mm-hmm. and use that as an example. Okay, so the, the, the end word in the first line is food. We go down one, two, three, four, five, six, seven lines, and that we get the rhymed word with food, which is mood. Mm-hmm. And so there, there is a direct connection. And 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 for the sensitive reader who wants to study these poems, not just, oh, mm-hmm. I've got this book, I, okay, I've read it now and it's up on my shelf, what's the next book? No, these books are meant to be studied and, and really chewed, digested, absorbed, and gone back to again and again because, so, so, so one of the foods is, is mood. Yeah. If I don't identify with whatever mood is present at any given moment in me, that mood becomes genuine being food, or we'll call it soul food, for those who I call soul has many words. It, it really has no name at all. It's nameless, but we call it spirit. We call it Holy Spirit. We call it being. We call it soul. We call it many things, but, but I call it being anyway. Mood is one of the foods. And so when there is rhymed words, I'm meant to go back and look and see and and consider then what is the connection. The, The second line, to feed her soul, everything is food to feed her soul from the steady streams. And then I go down one, two, three, four lines and dreams becomes, and one of the steady streams is dreams. And so you see, uh, although it's not always conscious in me, there is a force working through me which is completely conscious, and these then become non-accidental. Right. The end of that poem has three words, three rhymed words which pound like a drumbeat, well, shell, hell. I'll read those three lines. 
lines. These are the last three lines of Sutra 33. Mm -hmm. To grow and mature, the soul must be fed well. Just as the chick eats the yolk to escape its shell, the soul consumes negativity to escape from hell. And those three lines, that drum beat, is very important to drum something. So there is a, look, the original meaning of posy or poetry was song. And the rhyme is a song-like technique which works on a subtle level, on a subtle emotional and psychological level in the being and in the human and in the ear and in the psychology. And so you get this drumbeat, must be fed well, to escape its shell, to escape from hell. And that is a very important, tri you call that a trilogy or a, a, a um, tri um, triad, quatrain, tr tr tercet. And, yeah. and, and it, 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 uh, it contains, how do I escape from the hell of the mind, from the hell of the me? Well, by consuming negativity, starting with my own, because I am full of it. And self-observation is called intentional suffering because if I can observe myself with, with ruthless self-honesty, without judgment, Without trying to change anything I observe, I begin to see the ex full extent of my negativity in every aspect of my life, but certainly beginning with my negativity towards myself, how I judge myself so harshly, how I don't believe in myself, how I put myself down. Uh, and self-importance, which Don Juan talked about, is the other side of that self-hatred, that, that self-loathing. They, they are, you know, the, the arrogance and the boasting, which we see so prominent in, in our leaders um, in, in, in the government, are simply the other side of self-importance. And they are both the sign of a wounded, deeply wounded being who is terrified. So, um, so, so that consuming of negativity begins with not expressing negative emotion it's it's one of the fundamental work tasks of spiritual practice throughout all spiritual traditions in in the christian tradition we call that the golden rule treat others as you would wish to be treated don't respond to negativity with negativity respond with kindness loving kindness and that that's the other sutra i read even with a fool, responds with kindness, even towards a fool. This is a very high spiritual practice, and people misunderstand it. They react negatively to it. The mind sees it's inconceivable. It doesn't make any sense, and you be, you're weak, and then you're just making yourself a victim and a target. No, the opposite. I am ceasing to make myself a victim when I stop reacting to negativity inside or from external sources. But there, there's a uh, another side in which we find that people mis misunderstand because this isn't a, uh, a a recommendation to repress, right? But to act kindly, act, act from heart, even in the presence of the negativity arising in ourselves. In ourselves. is That's, Stuart, that's exactly the right emphasis. To react with kindness, uh, I, I, we just recently finished a... Um, 
self-observation intensive in New Jersey with, with 28, 29 beautiful people. I love them so much, and some of them are listening, a lot of them maybe. And one of the things that arose in that was a prayer that we use with the begin-again process. That is, I've forgotten myself, I've reacted with, with harshness, or I've, I've reacted in a way that's unpleasing, or I've just been lost in dreams. And I remember myself, I come back, and the prayer, so I come back gently, not with harshness, not with judgment. The prayer is this, I have been, gone, I have been away, I am here now. And that's the being returning to the body, remembering itself, rejoining its, its relationship with the body, which can be loving and uh, adoring. And Because the body, look, the body has a crucial function in, in the development of the soul. It serves as an objective feedback mechanism to help orient the being in the present and it's by being present that we receive help from God, because the present is the domain of God. The present is the domain of non-judgmental love. Love exists as the present moment, and if I'm not in the present, if I'm lost in the mind, past or future, self, the, the, the personal history, lost in the emotional dramas, I'm not present. So to return to the present, to the mother, I've been away. I am here now. So, that's the mother. That's the mother comforting the wounded child. I've been away. I'm here now. And it's gentle. It's kind. It's a way that I begin again to observe myself without judgment, without harshness, without criticism, without condemnation not trying to change anything, not identifying. And, and here's an interesting thing that, that is, I, I, it's been revealed to me pretty recently, within the last year or so, that this me, this so-called me, this thing I identify with as myself, is composed of two things, only two things, identification and imagination. It is all identification and imagination. It's nothing else. So one uh, way to recapture some of what you were just saying is in Sutra 42 on page 44. And may, if you'd be willing to read that, I have a, I'd, I'd love to. I have a question about that. Yeah. This is from The Way of the Wise Woman. It's available from hohmpress.com. And I want to just briefly mention that I have a new book that's coming out in May 19th. Uh, from Aubade, A-U-B-A-D-E, publishing.com, called The Law of the Land, and it further uh, investigates our relationship to the earth and to uh, the moral integrity of the earth. So you said 44, is that right, Stuart? 40, page 44, Sutra 42. Page 44, it's Sutra, Sutra 42. Yeah. The wise woman knows that wisdom is given not from her, but from its source in heaven. Thus all may have access to it if they remain in the present. The now of the body, not the brain, but the earthly sensation, which is the body's domain. 
The fool thinks he alone is wise and believes the harder he tries to gain wisdom, the smarter he will appear. The wise woman knows wisdom is always near if she remains humble, clear, and free of fear. The same misunderstanding that we have about love, meaning love comes from me. No, it doesn't. It comes to me if I am receptive, if I am still inside. The effort is to remain actively still. In the same way, wisdom doesn't come from me. It comes to me if I am present and in the present and receptive and open and not interfering. The present contains all love. The present contains all wisdom. And so wisdom is available to everyone. It's not the domain of, of so-called enlightened beings or, or great masters or, or you know, uh, well-educated, highly, you know, no. It's available to, to the least of us, which would be me and you. As long as I know how to access it. And so it's what I rely on totally in the best of the poems that are written, that are given to me to write. I rely on accessing that source of love and wisdom, which means trying to be actively still and present in the now of the body, sensing the body, and receiving. Yeah, I, I appreciate the that equation because it's um, it both is a, has an immediate ring of truth. And yet, to the mind, it's a you know the mind always thinks that wisdom is something you work out in your head. Absolutely. Well, uh, the, the, one other thing, uh, I want to talk about one, two, three, four, line five from this uh, the Sutra Forty Two, the earthly sensation, which is the body's domain, and the the, the consideration of sensation cannot be stressed too much. Sensation, is, I've mentioned it before, but I'll, I'll repeat that sensation means, all right, the five senses receive sensation from external sources, but there's also sensation in the inner world, the sensation of thought, the sensation of emotion, the sensation of tension, the sensation of posture, the sensation of mood, all those are sensation, okay, but it is sensation which is the key to returning to the mother to the present. The present is the mother of all life forms. It is the present which gives birth to all life forms, which is why the present is called the mother, return to the mother. Sensation means that I sense my right arm from the shoulder to the hand. There's sensation there. And if I tense the right arm from the shoulder to the hand, just momentarily, if I tense it, and you can do that if you're listening, tense the right arm. You sense the right arm. You sense that tension. Now relax the right arm. And that's a different sensation, a different energy in the arm. Sensation is the missing link between mind and body. Mind operates as a separate entity from the body, divorced from the body. 
sensation unites mind and body. So it's crucial in self-observation that I sense the body as part, no observation without sensation. It's one of the foundational laws of self-observation. No observation without sensation. So before I can observe myself, I have to remember myself. How do I remember myself? I move attention consciously down into the body and I sense the breath. I sense the body, the whole body. I relax the body. And the relaxed body is the invitation to God to enter. It's the invitation to love to enter. A relaxed body is the invitation to wisdom to enter. My experience is that love will not force its way in. Love will not demand. Love will not insist. Love will not be aggressive. Love only responds by invitation. The invitation has to be conscious. The invitation is the effort to remain actively still, not interfering with incoming sensation, with incoming impressions, but to allow, to receive, to remain present, and to receive those impressions, then love can find me, then wisdom can find me, then our Creator can begin to use this mammal instrument for its own divine purposes. Well, Otherwise, it's just the me and the hell of the me enacting its psychodramas constantly stealing the energy which rightly belongs to our Creator and can be used for its purposes to maintain its creation. If I, and so it's an act of conscience, self-remembering, self-observation. Just as sheltering in place, wearing a mask, practicing social distancing, those are acts of conscience, but they must go further. They must be taken inside to where I reside, into the domain of the soul, and there in that domain to begin to practice inside as well as out. Outside I'm practicing conscience by distancing, by, by um, staying isolated, by wearing a mask. Inside I am not reacting. I'm, I'm not expressing negativity. Well, this is this is a uh, uh, perfect way to end yeah. this conversation, which unfortunately we've run out of time for. I'd love to, to God bless you both, and God bless every one of you who's listening. I love you so dearly. It what what an hour, what a, what a time we spent together. Incredibly it's, valuable for me. It's very been, big help for me. Thank you. Well, oh, you're welcome. It's been fabulous for us, and honestly, I really want. There's so much more I wanted to get into. Um, I'm hoping we can do this again. I don't see why not. We've done it twice now, and each time has been just loaded, packed with, with help for me. Well, likewise for us. So, Red Hawk, thank you again for joining us uh, on The Mystical Positivist. And Is there uh, a way that the listening audience can respond to you from this program and say what they what they've gotten what it's meant to them yeah what they what they can do is uh uh you can send email to mystical positivist at gmail.com and mystical positivist 
Yes. At, okay. At gmail dot com. Correct. Yes, and and then we'll post the podcast for this, and uh, you can send that out to the folks who uh, may have missed the show and people who want to hear it again. And yeah. They can always put comments in the comment section of the um, uh, website for the uh, show. God bless you, my dear friends. Well, thank you so much. It's been uh, great, as always, and uh, we look forward to talking to you soon. It's been fabulous. You have been listening to The Mystical Positivist. I'm your host, Stuart Goodnick. This week on the show, Rob and I have been speaking by telephone with Red Hawk about his latest book from Home Press called The Way of the Wise Woman, Poems by Red Hawk. He's the author of 10 previous books. His book, Self-Observation, has been published in 11 languages. His poetry has been published in The Atlantic, Poetry, and Kenyan Review, and other journals. Red Hawk has been a member of a Gurdjieff group for 36 years, a student of Mr. Lee Roswick for 22 years, a disciple of Master Osho Rajneesh for 16 years, and always a devotee of the great spiritual master, Yogi Ram Surat Kumar. Upcoming on the spiritual calendar in Sonoma County, Many Rivers Books and Tea is delighted to co-sponsor with the Meta Center for Nonviolence, the online book launch of Michael Nagler's latest and best book, The Third Harmony, Nonviolence and the New Story of Human Nature. Michael Nagler has given book talks at Many Rivers about his previous books in the past, so we were delighted when the Meta Center for Nonviolence contacted us to partner with them in this creative response to the coronavirus pandemic. We cannot share our store space with Michael to hear him talk about this wonderful new book, but we can come together online to hear about and discuss just how crucial the application of the principle of nonviolence can be in our common crisis. The online event, using the Zoom app, will take place on Thursday, April 16th from 5 to 6 p.m. For those unable to access Zoom, there will be a phone call-in option, you will need to RSVP to access the online event. Please email your RSVP to events at metacenter.org. So the Zoom access uh, inf- information will be emailed to you ahead of the event. So that's events at metacenter, M-E-T-T-A-C-E-N-T-E-R dot O-R-G. Times of upheaval and turmoil are also times of possibility. A nonviolent world is undoubtedly possible. We've seen plenty of glimmers of it over these past few weeks as people everywhere are waking up to our interconnectedness. Despite the necessity of physical distancing, we are finding creative ways to connect and to care for one another. The question is, how do we maintain this restorative momentum? How do we not go back to, quote, normal, unquote? Nonviolence is the only power strong enough to move the heart toward the significant changes this crisis is begging us to make. It's in this rejuvenating spirit that we invite you to celebrate the online launch of Michael Nagler's latest book, The Third Harmony, Nonviolence and the New Story of Human Nature. Please see the event and RSVP details below. And The Third Harmony uh, highlights the harmony within and among us to resolve the crisis of the human image. It also calls on all of us to realize the urgency of nonviolence for resolving our personal and collective problems. The inspiring motivational discussion guide in the back of the book makes it an ideal resource for book clubs, educators, movements, and community groups. Again, please email your RSVP to events 
at metacenter, M-E-T-T-A-C-E-N-T-E-R dot O-R-G. Thank you for joining us once again for The Mystical Positivist. Podcasts of all our shows can be found at www.mysticalpositivist.blogspot.com, as well as commentary and discussion of topics of interest to the show. Also, please send comments and feedback to mysticalpositivist at gmail.com, and join us again next Saturday. We leave you with music from a CD called The Mystic and the Muse, celebrating 600 years of women in music with the Ensemble Galilei. This track is called Nancy's Waltz by Chris Romain. Enjoy.